All right, so yeah, good old Todd Russ in the Oklahoma state state representative. He had a few things to say about healthy relationship training, calling it is that like a snowflake thing when talking about healthy relationship education in the public schools, which is just great to hear. You know, training anyone into like how to actually treat people well you know snowflake shit <laughs> well I, I love how he like said this in response to like this uh representative rosencrantz who i think got in on a special election was like uh one of my constituents was raped by a guy who said he doesn't know what consent was and fucking todd russ was like help me understand healthy relationships you know you, know, you don't need education for that because what you do is you have a good relationship a wholesome marriage like mine where i don't speak to my wife for three days because she burned the roast and um you well, know i, I, I scold I really... her for talking to a, a, a male co-worker of mine in in public causing me a public embarrassment like that that's what a healthy relationship is. I, she's actually todd russ's wife is not allowed to be alone with men uh that aren't her husband um even her even family members actually i, I really old, love uh, mike pence route yeah i really love that this article goes on to say uh conservatives warned the bill could lead to further erosion of oklahoma values quote unquote are we opening the door to a course that may have a politically charged agenda? Asked Representative Jeff Cordy, who is himself carrying a controversial bill to remove some restrictions on guns in schools. <laughs> hey, teachers guys, should be able we... to shoot Oklahoma videos or uh, rather values or teachers should be able to shoot students for talking back. But you shouldn't know like you shouldn't be taught that maybe you shouldn't rape people. <laughs> Listen, listen, well, yeah. listen. If we address how how females and males come together in schools, all that's going to happen is we're going to have to have more guns for the teachers to put those students down. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just, it boggles the mind. It's like, who, who the fuck are these people? And, like, who says that? Who says, is that a snowflake thing? Well, they're an actual representative. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, the the only true healthy relationship is between a man and his gun. <laughs> That's the Oklahoma values. Many months has come and gone since I wandered from my home In those Oklahoma hills where I was born Many a page of life has turned, many a lesson I have learned Well, I feel like in those hills I still belong Way down yonder in the Indian nation Ride my pony on the reservation In those Oklahoma hills where I was born Now way down yonder in the Indian nation The cowboy's life is my occupation In those Oklahoma hills where I was born I'm Adam Burnett and this week we've got Carl Roberts and Stephen Lastman on the show And this is Red Star Over Oklahoma We're a small political and news podcast broadcasting about left Oklahoma How you doing this week boys? Doing well. Yeah, doing pretty good. Well, it's good to hear. Well, 
I think for uh, this week, we're going to jump right into the news of the day. Uh, our first story comes just from the New York Times, and that's just where we pulled this article from. Um, but this has been a story that's been going on uh, and has been kind of floating across um, most of the major uh, news networks over the last couple of days. But um, the Trump administration has filed a lawsuit against California. Um uh, over their anti uh, over immigration, uh, essentially what has happened is is that uh, California has passed two major reforms uh, in the form of statute uh, in the last um, year, uh, maybe two years. I don't I don't I'm not a hundred percent sure when this other one was uh, filed, but uh, the first one is um, called the California Values Act, and it limits when state and local agencies are able to share information with federal officers about criminals or suspects. And basically, it limits that to when they have been convicted of uh, a serious crime. So essentially, um, California has no reason to deport a lot of people, especially you know if you get a traffic offense or something like that. Um, there's not a lot of reason to deport you um, and they're not in actual violation of a lot of um, they're not in actual violation of a lot of state law when they do that except for you know you know if you jaywalk you're going to be in in trouble for jaywalking or whatever but you're not going to be in trouble for being an illegal immigrant necessarily uh, that being said so mm-hmm uh, so basically, just the federal government is mad that California isn't hunting down illegal immigrants well, for yeah. any reason they can find. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, a, a part of it is, and I mean, the way um, law enforcement would frame this is that you essentially have people who have broken the law who are here illegally, which, I mean, we're all very anti-borders anyway, which, I mean, is the way to be. But um, from a law enforcement perspective, what they're going to say is that, you know, we have these people in a essentially a closed environment. You've got them, you know, with a contact with a police officer, which is often the hardest thing to do for uh, interacting with these communities because the federal government is awful at, you know, um, (laughs) engaging with minority communities. So their only contact is the police. So what the the feds are saying is, hey, you know, you've got this contact. You really need to give it to us. And what California is saying is, you know, when we have someone who has a minor crime violation, you know, when we've got someone who's got a warrant out for a traffic ticket and they need to talk to the police because, you know, their husband or their boyfriend is beating them or they've been robbed or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We want to encourage them to come to us and to be open with us. Um, on top of that, they um, they had just passed the Immigration Worker Protection Act in California, which prohibits local business from allowing immigration to gain access to employee records without a court order and subpoena. Um, and there is actually some punitive fines in there, which will be a little difficult to get to. But um, there are some fines, some some punitive measures in there for law for, for uh, employers who don't um, cooperate with this bill. And so basically, uh, the Trump administration, through uh, our good old boy, Mr. Jeff Sessions, um, they have uh, filed a lawsuit in federal court 
uh, against uh, the lawmakers and the politicians who are instituting these policies in order to stop them from doing that. And the um, I mean, what the the fight in this is essentially over is that they are not only like the the feds are claiming that not only are they usurping their authority and crossing into a realm that they are not allowed you know they're not they they shouldn't be allowed to tell their law enforcement not to work with federal law enforcement and additionally it is uh what what the sessions uh lawsuit is saying is that it is not within their uh, purview and within their wheelhouse to actually legislate these kind of decisions. But I mean, I think well, I can say for, yeah, and I'm sure we're going to get into it, but I, I think we can say, you know, these kind of protections are, you know, necessary in a world where we're living yeah. under the Jeff Sessions department of justice. And he's just on his Rolls Royce with the little flags on the top front of the car <laughs> driving around in, in the military parade where they're taking all the immigrants in chains back to the border wall. Well, I mean, if Jeff, if, if, if Jeff Sessions didn't hate poor people as well as people of color, he would be driving the Robert E. Lee. Like that's just, a, Oh yeah. It's a fact. Um, uh, but I, I think it's so interesting. Like this, this legal case is so interesting to me because it harkens back to Southern states, you know, before the Civil War, saying, "Oh, federal overreach, states' rights, blah blah blah," and then at the same time trying to use the federal government to force other states to go along with their policies. So you had, you know, the Fugitive Slave Act, which was coming from these people that are generally like states have rights and the federal government isn't supposed to overstep them, blah blah blah. That then used the federal government to basically say, "Y'all need to be racist." Oh yeah, and no, your police force. It's only a state's rights issue, and it's the thing that you don't like. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's also, I mean, it's it's like a dir direct connection here because it's a racist thing. You know, you have this guy who's apparently repeatedly joked in the office about how he should go join the KKK sitting here saying state <laughs> state police should do the job of, of immigration <laughs> enforcement for them so that he can kick out, you know, people that uh, he assumes are exclusively, you know, Hispanic. And yeah. It, it, I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous, you know. Yeah, it really is, and I think I think I think your description of it in that like way of like dealing with states' rights is super important because so much of federal law enforcement authority comes through federal statute and through executive action uh, based off of agencies, and for them, you know, for like the FBI or uh, ICE to be involved at a level where they're like, uh, no, you know, where it's like the FBI can't call law enforcement agencies and say, oh, hey, can you give us information on officer-involved shootings, how many shooting deaths you have, what the conditions of those shooting deaths are, how many times your officers fired, fired their weapons and what the results of those, fire, those weapon firings were. But... You know, the FBI can't come in and get those statistics, but ICE should be able – should be called uh, – you know, should be affirmatively called every time uh, a Mexican jaywalks or uh, a Chinaman uh, uh, litters or – uh, anything, any minority does anything anywhere. Let's let's go ahead and inform ICE about it. And it's just like, but we can't have any rational like oversight by the federal government and anywhere else. And it's the same thing with like I, 
and I think I see it with pot a lot, where this, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Sessions would tell you the thing he cares most about is states' rights and the division of labor under federalism and yada, 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 and all these Republican values that these high-minded statesmen give a shit about. But at the end of the day, you know, if you put, you know, he's mad because he, because Colorado and California won't, won't cooperate with his law enforcement endeavors so that he can bust more people for having dime bags and put more people into federal penitentiaries that are for profit. Yeah, just anyone who stops him from ramping up the drug war is or the war automatically like Well yeah, anybody yeah. that anybody that stops him from throwing more people of color in prison are his enemies. I mean that's the only way to understand this to me. Yeah, absolutely. Because the second it's some issue where it's like, should states be able to, you know, legalize, like, ban abortion, or should states be able to ban gay marriage or something? You know that Jeff Sessions is going to sit there and guns in say, some insane way. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to sit there and say, that's uh, federally guaranteed, right? But then the second it, it involves people of color going to prison or getting deported, he's like, well, um, I have the right to fucking force any American to go spread eagle, and I get to finger their butt. That's the Constitution. And, like, I, as much as that's kind of, like, a funny, like, joke, it's, like, also not a joke at all because, like, yeah, I, no, like, I've, like I have been... Actively policies he's pushing. Yeah, like, I have been impressed with um, the Sessions administration, how hard they have hit on, I mean, searches like that. I mean, real nasty body searches and the idea of, yeah, holding people before due process and holding people on smaller charges and in not giving them, you know, the full accordance of due process and the rights that they uh, should have. And I think we're going to talk about that some more. Do literally have. <laughs> in, a, in, in a second uh, with a story Lassie's going to tell us about. But um, to finish up this story, I mean, this, this, this case is going to be ongoing and I'm going to be following it very closely because I will tell you all that from a legal perspective, it is relatively rare that we have um, – the, the the administration suing um, politicians in a state. Uh, it's not super rare. It happens pretty – I mean this is how uh, when the Fed wants to overturn laws it doesn't like, this is how they do it. But at the same time, this is not uh, super um, – it is not super um, common. Um, so to wrap up, I think you know the thing that is important is that you know – this is something that California and the California lawmakers will explain as being common sense. And the way they'll explain it that way is to say that people in, in, in marginalized communities have an incredibly difficult time. One of the most difficult things people in marginalized communities have a, a hard time with is being engaged with the protections that their community gives them. And one of the hard things that law enforcement deals with, I, and I, I see it all the time with law enforcement, is that sometimes you have awful situations going on inside homes or inside these communities, and these communities are terrified to reach out because they are afraid of the blowback that uh, some arbitrary um, 
you know, either immigration or the one I see in Oklahoma even more is like warrants. I see people who are terrified to reach out because they don't know if they don't ha- if they have a warrant or not. They're afraid to call the cops because they're afraid that if they get the cops out there, they're going to get arrested because they might have a warrant that they don't know about. Well, I, I mean, this this to me is one of the most important like things about being for prison abolition, about being for like ending borders, because it suddenly the kind of. You know, what we conceive of is these kinds of social services that the police do, the non-punitive things where, where the police, you know, for example, can step into a situation where somebody's getting abused at home and say, you're going to get to leave this house and you're going to be safe to do so. Or, or, or you know, a child that, that needs protection from abusive parents or something, right? Like, it, immigrant communities and communities of color don't have access to that. And that's the only good thing about the police is that they can protect people in those kinds of situations. And, and... If you do ban prisons, if you do end borders or something, you have a situation where those kinds of concerns for people go away and people can use the good services that that police and law enforcement offer in our current system without that fear. And it's a massive problem because you have people that that literally can't call the police because they're afraid that they'll get deported or or they're afraid that they'll end up in, you know, uh, prison for multiple months on end without getting a bail hearing yeah. or being able to afford to meet bail or something. Yeah. Yeah. And that is exactly the, the, the concern that I wanted to address in this is that, you know, what, what California is trying to do here is to create an environment where, you know what? Yeah. If you commit a murder or you commit a rape or, you know, um, you, you break a serious law, you commit an arson or, you know, major armed robbery. Okay. Yeah. Let's get the feds involved. Let's revoke your immigration status, yada, 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 yada. And then, you know, there's, there's an argument to be had about that, but at least we can say for the people who are, are, you know, dealing with stuff like, you know, having outstanding warrants or, um, you know, the, the myriad of ticketable, but arrestable, anything that's ticketable is technically arrestable. And so, you know, the myriad of jaywalking, parking tickets, speeding tickets, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all that does is like Carl said, engenders this dichotomy between police and communities that makes it harder for people to do their jobs and makes it harder for people to get the help they need when they need to get that help. And speaking of being difficult to get the help people need when they need to get that help, I think Mr. Lastman is going to have a very interesting story for us coming out of Kansas. Yeah, sort of like a a yin-yang, you know, one's about immigrants being worried about deportion. Um, This one's about immigrants being imported and treated terribly. Uh, This is a Washington Post article entitled, Immigrants Say Working at Kansas Ranch Was Like Slavery. Um, This is a factory farm in Syracuse, Kansas. And it says that immigrants working on this remote Kansas ranch toil long days in a type of servitude to work off loans from company for the cost of smuggling them into the country, according to five people who work there. There are no holidays, health insurance, overtime at Fulmer Cattle Co., which raises calves for dairies in four states. The immigrants must buy their own safety gear and equipment, such as goggles and uh, jackets. One worker spent eight months cleaning out cap pens, laying down cement doing other construction work uh, Esteban Cornejo a Mexican citizen who is in the US illegally left Kansas in November after paying off debt which he figured was nearly $7,000 
So if you thought that, you know, eight months, bring it back seven the... grand. I'm sorry. Like, I just have to pause yeah. on that for a second. Cause like eight months to pay off $7,000 while you're living there. I mean, you know, and we're going to say the word indentured servitude a bunch of times coming up, but like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> jeez Louise. All right. I just, I just had to say that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't even want to run the numbers on how, like, low that would actually turn out to be hourly or, like, what. Hourly, yeah, that's just... five, 547 an hour. Jesus. At, at 7, a 40-hour work week, which I'm sure. Of, that, there's which, no way they're, they're working 40 hours a week. They're, you mean they're, they're not getting their, like, their, 60 or 80. The, you know, they're not getting their uh, evening nights and weekends off? I thought they're not for getting sure. Their... They would they would be able to get you know that these wonderful uh, people who are not treating them like slaves would this uh, company who is like the profit margin will be better if we illegally import workers. And oh no! Wait, no. Them. So so here we got a little bit of information about uh, their pay. So the the Associated Press shows that Cornejo worked uh, one hundred and eighty two point five hours at ten dollars an hour over two weeks. He's getting paid pretty well, huh? At an average of 15 hours a day with Sundays off. His pay was... His pay reflected this being $18,028 before taxes. Also deducted was a $1,300 cash advanced repayment that he said was a company loan for bringing him into the country. So what that actually ended up being was a little under $500, or a little over $500 before taxes, which... God only knows how much more that took off. Yeah, but because he, he had to pay all those taxes himself. There's no way that the company paid. Oh any no, of not those at taxes. all. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, but yeah, they t- they just take away like seventy percent of his paycheck to say like pay him back. This is seventeen hundred style indentured servitude. This is like that fucking mine in Deadwood where the guy just has a bunch <laughs> of Cornish miners. That's like literally what this is. <laughs> But yeah, like, I mean, this is the exact same thing going on in, like, Qatar or the UAE, where they import uh, Malaysian and Indonesian workers and, like, house them and never let them go back to their country and essentially keep them as, you know, slaves, essentially. Yeah. Trapped by debt. They can't stop working for them until they paid off of their debt well, for and getting they can't smuggled go, into the country. They can't go to the police because they're just going to get deported. Yeah, of course. I mean... It's it really is like a tandem system where the police reinforce these companies' shady, unethical business practices. And I mean, we've essentially, you know, they've essentially, I, I'm a, so, you know, they've essentially created a system that, yeah, like you guys said, has reinforced itself. And not only that, but I mean, like I think you can see it directly because so this guy pled guilt, the guy who owns the ranch where all this is happening, pled guilty in 1999 uh, to a felony count of harboring and concealing immigrants in his in, in the country illegally. All right. So you talk about any of these people who if they go to the police, they will get put in a car put in a jail cell for an indefinite amount of time until they can get a hearing and then get shipped back to a country that they may have never been, never lived in or not lived in in decades. Okay, so what happens to this guy for, you know, owning slaves? He was sentenced to six months of home detention, a $10,000 fine, and ordered to perform 500 hours of community service. 
Well, isn't that fair, no, guys? Which is fucking nothing. Isn't that equitable? <laughs> isn't that yeah, a just This guy punishment? should be in prison forever. This guy, this guy should... should... <laughs> yeah, he, he should be in prison forever making... having to farm cattle himself. <laughs> Well, yeah, like, the just thing would be to put him in one of those prisons where you do work and you don't get fucking paid. Like, to send him to CARE, that American gulag in in northeastern Oklahoma. That would be yeah. fair to be like, you're going to work, you're not going to make any fucking money, and if you get injured, we're going to pocket all the cash. That's literally what should happen to this person. That would be just. Yeah. Um, yeah, I read a little further, and it said that uh, Cornejo, the person whose salary they were tracking, took home an average of just over a dollar an hour. Jeez. God. Jeez, that's like, uh, yeah, below. That's like below prison wages. Yeah. Well, but it's also indicative. I mean, to me, of the, like, like the kind of like good intersectionality that we could talk about, where it's like immigrants' rights are workers' rights because, yeah, of course, these because we have a border system and like very serious strict rules about that. These people are exploitable. It's in fact profitable. Because this is part of what the article says, it's profitable to smuggle them into the country. Yeah, because it's a Im- form. An immigrant class creates a class even lower than your country's lower class because you don't—they don't even have the protections that we've managed to set up. Yeah, because, because if they... They, yeah, they're concerned about being sent back to their country or rounded up well, by the police. I mean, if you just look at budgets, like how much money does the National Labor Relations Board get in comparison to ICE? You know, who oh. who has more power in our society? DH like Homeland Security, ICE, the FBI, or the National Labor Relations Board? And and who who is getting in trouble here? Is it the worker or the boss? I mean, we just laid it out. It's it's the worker. The boss is not getting in any meaningful trouble. Yeah, and it's one. Of, I mean, it's it's one. It's no different. This is the exact same as Jeff Bezos, like Amazon, not paying any federal taxes in 2017, while like tens of thousands of Amazon workers in the U.S. are on food stamps. It's a way that a capitalist has found to use America's legal system to produce more profit for themselves at the expense of broader society. Well, the problem is these people are always rewarded as like, oh, well, they found the loophole. They're smart for getting around. No, you just figured out that our system doesn't work and are exploiting it like a piece of shit. It's not smart. They built the system to work that way. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's that's why, like, that's why Republicans, are, you know, are, are always stuck in this position where it's best for them if nothing changes on immigration, because bosses get to exploit workers, and then they can blame Democrats for it, driving, you know, resentment in society from these white people that don't have any reason to give a shit about immigration, you know, or from immigrants that came here legally and went through the process. Um Next thing they're going to be there and have to, uh, they're only going to get paid in Fulmer bucks, which they can only use at the stores that are run by the company. Well, they, actually, they're going to get loaned from the company store before they get the Fulmer bucks. Of course. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah. But speaking of uh, terrible relations between workers and the systems that pay them, I think Carl is about to tell us some actually enlightening and not disheartening maybe even heartening news uh coming out of oklahoma (laughs) so i have been we have been doing this story for a long time we are the second news organization in the state to cover it that's a true fact you can look that shit up um and we're talking about the motherfucking teacher strike that is coming down the pipe and is about to throw the whole state off the rails for an indefinite amount of time um 
so this week, uh, a, a, a ton of shit happened, basically. Um, the OEA, the Oklahoma uh, Education Association, which is the biggest teachers union in the state, came out with a plan. They were like, oh, you know, we're going to go on strike on April 23rd if our demands aren't met, blah, blah, blah. And then um, that changed because rank and file pressure said, no, we're walking out on April 2nd or sooner, and that's just how it's going to be. So the OEA officially said... April 2nd is the day the strike starts. Um, and that's the day federally mandated testing happens that is worth, like, millions of dollars in federal money that goes to the state. So it's it, it's really important. And it's also the day after new... Um, the day after the legislature is supposed to give the education system uh, the funding for the, for the next year, right? This is really important, and this has been a serious problem in Oklahoma because the legislature never does its fucking job of giving school districts funding by April 1st so that they can know, you know, oh, who do we need to hire? How much money do we have? Do we need to cut people? Um, and so they're basically saying, you all have to come up with this. Um, and on top of that, OEA has asked for some really, like, this This is insane how big of an ask they put on the table. And I'm really happy that they're doing it because uh, it's really important. And I'm going to explain a really cool thing about it in, in just a bit after I go through it, right? Uh, so the first thing they're asking for is a teacher pay raise worth $10,000. And that's supposed to happen over three years. So it's $6,000 in the first year, and then $2,000 in each year afterwards, right? And over three years, that's $740 million. And then they've also said they want some more education funding in general because we don't have that. And that's $200 million over three years. Um, and that includes... Or rather, that, uh, the pay raise also includes a $5,000 pay raise for education support professionals because those people have also not seen a pay raise for the last 12 years. Um, and then on top of that, they're saying, hey, y'all need to change how pensions work for teachers because y'all have been dipping into that money to use on other things, which is a thing that happens, and give retirees a 5% cost of living increase, which could be done without raising any, any new money and would just require the state legislature to actually use the funds they already have for that purpose. Um, and then the kicker is that OEA said they also need new recurring revenue to fund other services. And they list uh, healthcare, mental health, and public safety as the services they want to see funded. And they also want to see a uh, pay raise for state employees to the tune of $7,500 over three years. And that's a $500 million ask over three years. So in total, that's $1.44 billion dollars of new money that they're saying the Oklahoma state legislature has to come up with in less than a month. Um, See, what's what's shocking about this to me, and I think a lot of the arguments that people hear is, oh, they're asking for so much, but what's actually the shocking thing is that they need, that they have gone without this much for so long. Mm -hmm. Because this is the amount that, like, we should have been building to over decades that has just been, like, routinely cut and not raised and not adjusted for inflation and everything like that. The fact that it has gotten to the point where we are nearly one and a half billion dollars short of where we should be for even like a decent level of education funding is yeah. so fucked up. I mean, it's been 12 years since state employees or teachers have seen a raise. And in those 12 years, like like in that time frame, when that happened in 2006, the last time that happened, Republicans had literally never in the history of Oklahoma controlled the state Senate. Oklahoma wasn't even 100 years old 
the last time that state employees or teachers saw a pay raise. And, and this ask looks really big for precisely what you say, Lassie, because we've just not been doing the job. Yeah. Um, but the really big kicker for me here is that last part where they say, no, we need to fund state employee pay raises too, because um, right now state employees are getting three-fourths of the average salary for posi equal positions that they would get on the market. That's a 25% lower pay. And on top of that, benefits have been frozen both for, for teachers and state employees. So they keep having to spend more of their income that they get untaxed on benefits like health care or, or their pension and so on. Um, and that's, I mean, it's just, it boggles the mind that we're at that point. But what that has done by, by the OEA demanding that is that the OPEA, the Oklahoma Public Employees Association, which is not a union but represents state employees, has said um, they're also going to strike on April 2nd if they don't see the OEA package passed. Um, I mean, I think that goes to show the power of coming out with like some bold, concrete demands. Like They are asking for a lot, but it's you know got enough to get people excited about a solid push forward. Because I think there was a lot of concern, like before the the strike started, and like all of this stuff has been building, that they wouldn't have enough support, or that that people would be too hesitant, just because there'd been so little union presence amongst teachers in recent years. But I think they've come out like very strong and gotten a lot of support by just making some like a bold push for a lot more money, which they definitely need. Well, yeah, and it's, I mean, it's also served to link these two struggles because it is a struggle. I mean, if we saw, like, if they hadn't done this and state employees weren't also planning on going sh on strike with them, I think we would have seen the legislature leave state employees in the fucking lurch. And that that's not doable. And we get, mm -hmm. we're going right now with the state of Oklahoma politics, there's going to be one, one chance for new recurring revenue to fix our budget deficit. And by linking those two, we, we can get that revenue to go somewhere else as well, then, where it needs to be. And, yeah. and like, yeah, this is the time for people that people really need to get emboldened about this. And and it's also, I mean, seeing seeing some of the responses out of the Capitol have just been, it, it's just, it's disgusting what our lawmakers do, because they all sit here and they say, oh, we care about teachers, oh, we care about public education. And they're saying, maybe we can get you $2,000 of a pay raise, which, if you look at inflation does not cover inflation since the last teacher pay raise. Um, and they're saying maybe we can do that with, say, um, tax breaks or something for teachers. But that, that's where they're at. And, I mean, at this point, if if teachers and state employees are on strike for a, a week, maybe even a month or something, we might see a real meaningful, like, a deep, serious change in Oklahoma politics. That's the thing. It's, it, a lot of the, like just rhetoric surrounding it seems like they're past the point where they will accept like the two thousand dollar tax break because it's something they do want these like much larger things that they have been have gone without for a very long time and desperately need yeah i mean one of um th there's a quote from a uh a teacher um that was actually like okay yeah we go on strike fire us we don't care. We'll just move to Texas. It doesn't matter. We'll get a pay raise. Fire yeah, us, like, I mean, and you can destroy your own state however you want it. <laughs> like that. They're, I, yeah, I, they're already paid so little, and like have so little. The state has very little to threaten them against taking away. And, and I think I think it's really crazy when you look at 
I really think public education is a great way to introduce people to like socialist ideas and socialist principles because it's like a thing where we can all go, look, we can mandate through our legislature a common curriculum that, you know, we need to have educated, an educated populace that has, you know, this understanding of these events and these things and has the, or the, you know, is prepared for the job market in these ways. And yeah, what all, all me, but the most like right wing of libertarian yeah. shitheads agree that public schools are a good but, thing. But like what blows me away is that like the, the the way this is looked at from like a certain perspective is just like ah oh, no no we'll just run all the public educators out of the state and then we'll just run parochial schools that have they'll just teach about you know yeah. humors and how to pray the gay away <laughs> and uh, you know we'll just have these schools that have no responsibility to their students they have no responsibility to their communities and they just teach whatever to whoever and not minorities or or, or like poors the poverty you to, know uh, yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be seven thousand dollars a semester in tuition uh, and if you can't pay that well then you just go to the mine or better yet we'll just Instead, we'll just stop having prisons no, and we'll just having yeah, work go, camps. We'll just have work camps. That, yeah, where the, uh, the the law enforcement will just go round up the poors, take them from their homes at what? You know, what do you think, guys? 11, 13? And take them straight to the work camp and just leave them there. Because what do they need to be educated for? They don't have any money. They're not hard workers. If they were hard workers, they'd have the money to go to the parochial school. Well, of I mean, course, it's, yeah. it's the logical conclusion of, of, of the kind of right-wing politics in Oklahoma because education is socialized in America. It is a free good that everyone gets simply for exi existing. And they're basically saying, maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe that shouldn't be how this works. And and that's why they're fighting it. And, and to see people outside of like traditional corporatist unions that basically just want to make sure that the people in the union get their fucking paycheck rank and file people have said you can go fuck yourself oklahoma legislature and they've made a situation where we might see a big redistribution of wealth to normal oklahomans for the benefit of everybody you know which would it's, be it's very, super cool very interesting so Speaking of interesting things, I think we have coming up right here a very interesting uh, interview with Mr. Larry Cagle from Oklahoma Teachers United. All right. So uh, just to start, um, what's your name? Uh, I'm Larry Cagle. I'm an English teacher here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. And how long have you been a teacher here in Tulsa or in, in Oklahoma more generally? Uh, I've been teaching at Edison High School for five years, and I taught in Florida uh, five years prior to that. Okay, so then you got here around 2013. Okay, um, great. And, you know, the, the, big, the big deal question to start off, um, why are you and other teachers organizing a strike? Um, teachers in Oklahoma are in, in great... Uh, in great numbers, are frustrated with the quality of education we're able to provide our students. Teachers in Oklahoma realize that the pay scale is so low that turnover and early retirement is causing a significant shortage in teachers. That shortage translates into uh, a lower level quality of education for the students that we serve. Um, 
we no longer can sit by quietly and allow the the destruction of school systems because the students we care for are students we love and students we feel compelled to um, protest on their behalf. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that's really that's really great, and I think it's a really great way to frame it too. Because so often, I mean, the second anyone was talking about it about a strike, you know, anywhere on social media, you could always see the, these ghouls saying, "Oh, think about the children," as if like a teacher strike, you know, automatically destroys the lives of children without being able to see that. You know, it really is an impossibility nowadays. At least it seems from the outside for teachers to be able to provide the education that you know children in the richest country ever deserve fundamentally. Right. So if you were to look at this problem from a couple of layers, first, it's important that um, whether you're inside or outside of the state, that there was a climate survey conducted by the Oklahoma um, Educator Association, and that's the statewide union for teachers. Mm -hmm. That climate survey interviewed teachers and parents, and it said 75% of the parents in Oklahoma are in support of a strike. Now, that's as much of a mandate for teachers to walk out as you can get. And that's because parents know, parents can see that there's a significant problem in the school system, so significant that the parents understand that they're supporting a strike that will cause disruption to their child's education. It's also important to understand another layer in this when people go, my gosh, who are we concerned? You know, how could we not be concerned about what's about to happen to our children? Even the students themselves can see that things are not right in their school. At my school, at Edison High School, we were the very first high school where students got up and walked out. Now, you could say, well, that must be because the teacher who's leading the protest movement is at that school. Well, if that were true, then how would you explain the 30 plus other schools without my contact, without my students' contact, saw that strike and felt equally motivated enough to get up and walk out and protest? Now, you can't get a, a, your average high school student to clean their room on demand, <laughs> much less take on a social issue. They have to, like Parkland, Florida, they have to feel personally invested in what's happening to them. And the third thing I want to say to you is that those concerns are typically being fueled by, by fear mongers. And, and I'll give you an example of that. Uh, just this weekend, uh, Joy Hoffmeister was on national public radio uh, with Scott Simon. And Scott Simon asked her, um, well, um, what do you think about this strike? Are you in support of it? And she said, yes. But she, she quantified it, that she was worried about what was going to happen to these children. As if, as if the teachers who were striking and the students who were protesting with us and the parents who were supportive of us didn't wholly understand that. And so I do think that there is a systemic support, support for, um, uh, for status quo. I do. I think, that the, I think that the protest is coming up against uh, uh, administrators superintendents, including Joy Hoffmeister, and unions and legislators who would pretty much prefer that we all just sat down and, and went back to business as usual. And well, some of the evidence, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, 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 that's fine. I mean, it's just, that's one of the things that I've been really interested about and we as a show have been interested about watching because it does seem, you know, you had OEA come out with the April 23rd strike date based on 
you know, uh, the day that the last day that led legislation could be introduced. And then you all from Oklahoma Teachers United the whole time had said April, April 2nd is going to be the latest day possible that a strike should start. And you all got OEA to switch. And so it seems to me that that what's most interesting is that rank and file teachers are saying, this is not good enough. We have to be more intense. We have to make this as, as you know, difficult as possible for the legislature, because that's the whole point of striking. You know, that that's how a strike right. gets the goods at the end of the day. Um, right. And Carl, you're Carl, you're one of the few who can who has clearly explained the narrative. It's, if it's shocking to me, uh, I, I will no longer do a New York Times, L.A. Times, CBS interview because they keep getting off message. Look, I'm not I'm not here to entertain anybody. I'm here to improve education in Oklahoma. And when I read over those articles, they clearly miss the obvious point that that the that that the system is clearly dragging their feet in hopes of dissuading the teachers from getting what they are demanding. And the longer that they continue to dissuade us, the higher the probability this strike will fail. And I and teachers like me have been fighting, and I mean fighting, at every single day, every hour of every day to block and to checkmate any, any attempt to prevent us from doing what we want to do. And it, it includes Hoffmeister's comment about, well, I worry about these poor children. Trust me, when we get into this fight, they will be talking about the poor children, the poor children, the poor children, who we we are striking because it's that bad. What would you have us do? Return to status quo? Say that there's nothing that can be done? No, that's not how democracies work. Democracies work through protest, through persuasion, uh, through um, arguing in uh, civil discourse. Look, if I sit in my classroom, I'm complicit. I am a complicit participant in a system that's broken. No, the way it works is I must protest. I have to protest. That's how democracies work. If you go to any other world without a democracy, teachers stay right in the classroom and they play along with the game. Here's a couple of facts that I think your, your listeners would be interested in hearing. When, you, when, when I talk about complicity, the, the participation of legislators and the participation of superintendents, and even as far down as the participation of principals. This is a fact. The state of Oklahoma ranks in the middle of the U.S. in terms of gross domestic product. Our, the amount of sales and tax revenue that we generate in the state is not, does not rank us at the bottom of the country. In fact, we're, we're a very, very successful state. We rank in 25. Interesting. Yes, it turns out that our legislators are actually compensated in the mid-20s among other legislators in the country. Who else would be compensated in the mid-20s? Well, our superintendents would be compensated in the mid-20s. Who else might be playing along with the game that, that we are poor and we can't afford to fund our education and pay our teachers? Well, that would be your principals. Your principals are compensated in the mid-20s. Wow, that's very interesting. The only participants in this system who are not getting their fair shake would be the children whose schools are being funded at the worst in the country and the teachers who teach at those schools who are being funded at the worst in the country. So when somebody at Hofmeister's level or at the superintendent level or the legislator level wants to cry, poor children, poor children, I ask them, 
if that were true, why are you a participant in leaving us at the bottom? I mean, so I'm, I, I also have such a problem with this narrative because it seems to me, I mean, I know um, one of the teachers I reached out to is actually um, after the, the failure of David Bourne's penny sales tax, you know, said very explicitly before the election, if this fails, I'm going to move in the future. And after it passed, she said, yes, I am, in fact, moving. And, and I reached out to her as a possible interviewee. And she was like, I'm the wrong person because I'm leaving now. And it's one of those things where if you have these people saying, oh, you know, you need to think of the children, though, it, it seems like educators in Oklahoma that are here are only here because of the children, because there would be no reason to accept a situation where you have the lowest per pupil spending, where you have, you know, per pupil spending that has been cut by more than 10% more than the second highest state in the country in terms of cuts. You know, it, it seems utterly banal to accuse this group of people that you're a part of, of not caring about the children, when the only reason you would still be an educator in Oklahoma is if you deeply cared about our children. And Absolutely. Absolutely. High-quality teachers who remain in Oklahoma are here because they passionately care about the vocation they have chosen. Um, and it's, it's obvious, though. I mean, in my school, and I teach at Thomas Edison Preparatory High School, one of the most uh, prestigious public high schools in the state, and yet, and yet, at one of the most prestigious high schools in the state, in an upper middle class community, where you would expect, you know, your classic upper middle class children to attend that school, we have had 70% turnover in five years. That's astronomical. This yeah. cannot be compared to any other market unless you lived in uh, in Oklahoma. And of course, I'm not a standalone. I'm not a, at a standalone school. This is repeated at Booker T. And of course, as you move you move along into uh, neighborhoods where the socioeconomic scenario is nowhere near as, as successful or profitable or um, you know as rewarded as a uh, middle class midtowner. Uh, you find that the turnover is catastrophic. If you thought 70% wasn't catastrophic, imagine Hale, imagine Central, mm. imagine East Central. These schools are suffering so hard that I, I, I know why now. I now know why the state of Oklahoma had to change its grading system. Because if we stayed and tried to compare like on like from year to year, we would be staring at a staggering fail. But if we change the way we test, then the statistics can no longer be compared uh, to the ones previous, and nobody can know the wiser just how poorly are we doing now. Well, yeah, except, of course, the teachers and the students that have to live through it, um, which is, I, I right. think, what's been so great is that, that you all have, have really come out and said this is what's going to happen. And so uh, on that front, I want to ask, you know, Oklahoma Teachers United does seem to be the group that's doing a lot of this grassroots organizing that got OEA to shift. Um, and, and that's kind of been a focus point. And then that Oklahoma teacher walk out the time is now uh, Facebook group also seems to be that. Um, but I just want to ask what I, is, I want to stop you there. I want to mm -hmm. stop you there. I, we need to clean something up right away. Um, and I, you know, we all are going to need to get on the protest line together. Yeah. All of us. But let's be clear. I don't hate the union. I do not hate the union. In fact, I was a Florida union person, and I was a um, I was a union member when I worked at the hotels in New York City when I was going to college. I am an absolute. I am a 
hardcore union member. However, I refuse to pay dues to a union that is complicit in the process of failing to serve its people. And I cannot say that strongly. But that is not to say that I can't forgive and move on. And I certainly will. And, remember, and those that are following us will get behind uh, uh, OEA. But I think we need to call it like it is. Um, Oklahoma teacher walkout, the time is now, is a mouthpiece for OEA. Mm-hmm. End of discussion. You go watch his threads. He is yet to hold them accountable for the decisions they've made. Secondly, there are no boots on the ground with that organization. I love, I think Alberto is a fantastic guy. I think the world of him. In fact, what he's done through his Facebook is, is, a, is a gift to our profession. But there are no boots on the ground. And all he is doing is repeating what OEA is telling him. And if we think for a minute that OEA is going to get us to the negotiations and not leave us, I mean, we couldn't even get OPEA to the table. As you probably have heard, OPEA uh, has decided to join our strike, creating one of the greatest national strikes in, in U.S. history. This is going to be something that they will be talking about for generations. But I don't want to be put on the same table with Alberto because Alberto does not have boots on the ground. And secondly, he is he is simply repeating what he's told from OEA. Uh, now, if you're if you're truly a protest movement, I think you have to speak independently. OEA has its own mouthpiece. It has its own website. They don't need that. And he's creating confusion. He is. He's creating confusion. The the only half the teachers in the state are union members. The other half are, are non-union members. And Alberto has to be careful that he doesn't fall into the traps. I'll give you a couple of examples. When, when Oklahoma Teachers United announced on Friday that we would be striking, two days before Alberto created uh, his Facebook group, we already had boots on the ground and we threatened to strike. When we did that, Alberto started entering names into his Facebook by the hundreds and thousands. And these weren't people who were joining his Facebook. They were being placed onto his Facebook and then encouraging people to then follow it. And for a full 48 hours, everybody thought we were him. Mm-hmm. That our, our announcement to the media about a walkout was him. But in fact, we're completely separate standalone. We were a group of teachers from the Oklahoma City metropolitan area and the Tulsa metropolitan area with a a concerted group effort of hundreds, not not the 50,000 teachers who were eager to see somebody like us stand up. So it's frustrating to me because it it confuses the narrative about what happened. On, On Friday, when we made the announcement, we, Oklahoma Teachers United, forced OTU and forced superintendents into, a, into an emergency Sunday meeting. That would not have happened with Alberto. It happened because Oklahoma Teachers United threatened them that we would come out on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, with our own strike day if they didn't come forward. Well, well did, Monday, they... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, this well, is just... I mean, this is... I, I didn't mean to uh, uh, say that the two were the same in any way. It's just more that 
what's been happening on social media has been really good. And I didn't actually know that about uh, Oklahoma Teacher Walkout. But I mean, the whole time as I've been watching this from the start, Oklahoma Teachers United has seemed to me to be the one that's driving a hard line that's saying we need to do this in a way that will actually deliver for the students of Oklahoma yes. the necessary yeah. reforms. And yes, and I don't mean to. Yes, 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 and I and I worry that there is confusion with regard to that, and confusion about Alberto and I. And I think that if you put Alberto and I in the same room, you find that the two of us are very chummy. I have a tremendous amount of respect for what he did. That was a. I mean, leave it to a classic millennial to just completely see through how to get us all on one page. Mm-hmm. Totally respect that man. That was a brilliant move that this fifty-four-year-old just didn't know how to do. So love that, and I and he deserves all the respect in the world from me and every other teacher in the state. In terms of you know, in terms of making sure that that those people who've been for decades now complicit in holding us back don't hoodwink us. I mean, as recently, you know, once we got that emergency meeting, man, they came back, as you've been saying, they announced that date, and we had to force it on them. They would yeah. not change their mind. OEA hung up the phone with us when we tried to professionally explain that there's no way. There's no way those teachers are going to agree to that date. It's a sham. Now, OEA put a sham in front of us. You, Like you said, we were going to go April 23rd to May 1st. No way were we going to win that. And so, um, well, I mean, it, it, even even conceptually, the date they chose was was based on on a deadline that was a, a lot more problematic than the April first deadline because the Oklahoma State Legislature is required to fund education by April first. That's a, that's a legal requirement, and so a walkout on the second makes a lot more sense than saying the period at which they can introduce new bills is over, and now we'll walk out because you can't deliver the goods in that situation. It w- it, it would not right. function, um, right? Right. It didn't make there wasn't a union. There isn't a union out there worth their salt that would that would have backed that April 23rd date. And so I have to ask the question, why? Why did you pick a date when you that that everybody would say it would fail? And the answer can only be they're complicit in holding us back from a protest that we want. And why Alberto, why Alberto has chosen to be you know, not understand the bigger picture. I don't know, and I and I really and I'm not saying that as criticism. I'm asking the question only, and that the only organization that I'm aware of, and maybe others. And if you're out there, I want you to know that we would like to unite. We don't. It's not. It's we're not interested in in limelight. We're not interested in. You know, the only thing, attention we wish is that people hear forty thousand people, forty thousand teachers, a uh, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand students roar. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've had 800,000 people reach out to us from the state of Oklahoma in just a week to say, on one level or another, do this thing, make this thing happen. Um, and like I said before, also, um, um, we, you know, we're the hinge pin for the rest, the hinge pin for the rest of the country. There are protests building in Kentucky and Arizona, also highly conservative states. They're looking carefully at West Virginia in the same way that OTU looked very carefully at what uh, West Virginia did right and what they did wrong. Mm-hmm. And we've been we've been in discussions and no- negotiations with them as recently as last night, where I sat in a in a Skype teleconference with hundreds of West Virginia teachers and listened to their leaders talk me through where they where they went through it. And, and they are very clear that we should watch that union closely, get behind them, 
Don't get in their way. Allow them to negotiate, but do not encourage the teachers to just simply say, you know, to follow along. Our fight's going to be harder than West Virginia. Let's get our heads around. We have a much more conservative uh, uh, environment to get into, and we cannot back down, which is why um, I began negotiations with OPEA weeks ago. Weeks ago, we began talking through back channels in hopes of getting them to the table. And uh, they, re- they were nervous. They are nervous that OEA is going to back out. They're nervous that OEA is going to get uh, 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 a small $3,000 raise and throw up its hands in pitiful, you know, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry, but this is as good as we could get. Let's try again next year and leave OPEA out on the strike line on their own. And they will drown on their own. They mm-hmm. have to have just as much as we want them to really create the biggest strike in U.S. history. Well, I mean, I, I think that's one of the greatest things. Like I, whenever I read that headline that OPEA was not only considering it, but was in fact saying we're we're on board right now, that was you know the best thing I had seen in a while in terms of news because that's that's solidarity in action. If if the two of you, if the two organizations, state employees and teachers together can go, that makes it so much harder for the legislature, you know, to be able to say no or or to negotiate something smaller. Or, or, or any of, uh, of the various things that I'm sure that um, they will be trying to do to get this over as soon as possible. And, and, and right. putting, you know, the bigger pressure you can put on lawmakers, the more likely it is that we can beat that supermajority requirement and actually see the change. Um, but I do want to ask you probably, you know, the, the most important question we have as a show about this. I mean, what's going to happen when, you know, Speaker McCall, or like uh, uh, President Pro Temp of the Senate, Mike Schultz said, you know, this is just not possible. You know, how how are you all planning to deal with what might be a very long term strike? And I mean, what's what's that going to look like if if it does turn out to be, you know, two weeks or a month or even longer? Um, yeah, we may very well have to run them all the way out of school. I mean, we're prepared to do it. I think the rank and file is not happy about it, but they're prepared to do it. Uh, like like you said, this, the people who are going to be hurt of the children, uh, only legislators are to blame. Um, I mean, we've 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 sat for eleven years. You've had eleven years to figure out a solution. I'm not a legislator. I'm an English teacher, uh, but I, I I I understand that you you the legislator do know how to do this. Um, let's let's clarify a couple of points here about the. You know, and I call them pitiful hands where they just throw them up and go, I just don't know what to do. Here's the answer to you for this. First, um, I don't care about moving the tax rate from three and a half to seven, back to seven. If you move it to seven, and quite frankly, that is the only way you're going to satisfy the state employees and the teachers simultaneously. We know that the Democrats have got a referendum uh, boiling in the background for November for mm-hmm. 7%, and the Republicans know that that's out there. So they know that that number's there. Look, I'm sorry if you've got constituents in the oil business are going to be mad that you're now forced to move from three and a half to seven, but you're not going to be able to sell that to me and other teachers and their parents because here that, that if we move it to 7%, that those oil men are now going to move to Texas. Why? Because the tax rate in Texas is 8%. I'm not a businessman, but I do have a pretty good idea that if I had the choice of staying in Oklahoma and paying seven or going to Texas and paying eight, I think I 
I might just suck it up and stay in Oklahoma. Well, and, oh, uh, maybe I'll. On, on maybe top I'll of that, to, yeah, yeah, go, go ahead. Well, you know, you just start throwing out options. Maybe North Dakota. Well, North Dakota is 11%. You want to go to Canada? Canada is 18%. Where are you plan on taking your oil business, Mr. Oilman? You want to go to Texas? Go to Texas. You want to go to Canada? Go to Canada. This is still a pretty good market to, to pump oil. If you don't want to pump oil, good luck to you. Oh, yeah. But we as an economy were doing fantastic just eight years ago when we were when we were taxing you at seven percent. And and our economy has has tanked ever since we moved it from seven to three and a half. The other point I want to make on this on the um board, you know, where do I come up with that money? Republicans already have a deal that they've offered the Democrats for five thousand dollar raise. Democrats have not taken that deal. Why? Because the Democrats know that there's an eleven, there's a seven percent referendum coming in uh, in November. So what do we expect? We expect a negotiation for seven percent. I'm sure a lot of people aren't going to be happy about that. Will we get to seven, or will we have to go to six, six and a half? I think that's really what the discussion is going to be about. You're going to have to correct the entire state, or you will shut down the state for weeks, potentially months. Teachers will get paid. We will not get, un- we will get paid. The real question is, at what point do you want to graduate your seniors? Do you want to graduate them in September? Do you want to graduate them in July? Do you want to graduate them in June? That's your call, Mr. Legislator. Those seniors will not go to OSU or OU until you decide to negotiate, pay us properly, and then we'll go back to school. You know, that is great to hear. Um, and I just have a few more questions before we go that are a lot more uh, technical, if you will. I mean, um, what can your average Oklahoman, you know, somebody who's listening to this podcast, I mean, people who listen to this podcast are, are most likely pretty politically active already. But I mean, what what are the best ways that people can help you all right now? So the, so there I, th- I think there are two two issues here, two fronts here. And this is where OTU moves away from from. Um, slapping at OEA for their misdeeds, uh, which, for which we've gotten plenty of trouble. Two places that we're, we think that we need to happen. One, we all have to start talking about it, not yelling at each other about it, talking about it. We, everybody needs to know that there is a serious problem in education. Actually, and, and now that OPEA is coming out, let's just open that up to there is a serious problem with funding public service. And we have to stop looking at public service as welfare. We all are going to need these services, these state services. They cannot be avoided, but we cannot underfund them. If you're going to have these services, fund them fully. Um, so we need to have a conversation. And one of the things that o, uh, OTU is doing right now is we are negotiating or negotiating. We are talking to major entertainers to come to our state and have a, 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 a strike concert, bringing attention to as many people as we can. We want big name entertainers. It would be even better if those big name entertainers were from Oklahoma. Bring these big acts to Oklahoma. Bring people out. Get them excited about the fact that we must create change. Uh, We have a major promoter um, in uh, uh, Johnny B. He's probably one of the biggest promoters in the country right now. Uh, He's backed us, said he will absolutely throw in his weight and his free time 
uh, if we can if we can make that happen, if we can get those acts to come forward. So that's one thing we can do. Let's start talking about it. Let's start tweeting big game entertainers from Oklahoma and saying um, uh, we're, we're doing hashtag uh, rocket the walkout. Um, we would like people to get behind that uh, um, that hashtag. OK. The other thing the other thing we can do is that it's time to be specific. So that's a big picture thing. It's time to be very, very specific. Who are you, legislator, that is getting in our way? Is not even willing to listen. I'm not asking you to agree with me on week one, but if you're sitting with your arms wound up around your chest and you are refusing to have a discussion, we will take the fight to your neighborhood. You live in a district. We know where that district is and we know those neighborhoods in that district, and we're going to bring the fight to your door. We're going to arm students, teachers, and parents, and we're going to go door to door in your district. And we're going to put signs in the yard that identify you specifically with your phone number on it and say you must be voted out. And we will carry that fight all the way into November. If we have to fail, I assure you when we get to November, you will be unemployed. So get your career resume ready. We're going district to district. And taking that fight. And why? Can, how can we do that? Well, there's a school system in every single district in this state. Yeah, so true. you cannot run and hide from us. So those are the two things. When you say, what can we do? One, we can figure out who they are, out them, so that they're not hidden in some little private uh, country club where they think they can just buddy up with you know a few hundred of their closest friends that voted them into office. But we can then unite as a community and get behind it. Look, if the community doesn't want good systems, then so be it. If it's District 100 whatever, District 100 whatever, guess what? You can now have your crappy school. The rest of us are going to fight for legislate, fight against legislators and fight with legislators so that we do have good school. So those are the two things I have. Well, great. Um, thank you so much for your time, Mr. Cagle. And uh, we at the show wish you the absolute best in the strike. I am honored that you that you reached out to me. I think what you're doing is is amazing. This is grassroots from man to man, man to woman, woman to woman, child, student to student is the way that we're going to create change. It is not going to happen by sitting and acting as though somebody else will do it. So thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. Yeah. Well, you have a great rest of the day, sir. Bye. I hope everybody enjoyed that interview. Uh, we had a great time doing it. And uh, go support the strike, y'all. You know, y'all. it's good stuff. But we wanted to talk about something a bit more broad for the conservative reading list this week. Uh, so, you know, you already know who it is. I'm not even going to say it. Um, we found this article called Good News Counters Narrative of Oklahoma Decline. Um, and it was published on March 6th by the Oklahoma editorial board. Um, and let's just, let's, let's get to it. Uh, so it starts off. Polling consistently shows large majorities of Oklahomans think the state is headed in the wrong direction. Wonder why. What? What? No, I, I, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Who are these anti-Oklahoman un-Oklahoman, un-American swine who are There's criticizing no the state. state. <laughs> oh, this, mm, those snowflakes. They burn me up, I yeah. tell you what. I mean, snowflakes who, going around saying that our state isn't good. 
people who think that the massive uptick in earthquakes, the fact that we just have large raging wildfires year round, uh, that we haven't seen a pay raise, <laughs> the teachers are, are doing another dust bowl right now and the numbers they're leaving. No, it's, it's fine. <laughs> It's just the first sentence. I mean, it's 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 a gold mine. I I, I have to thank. I want to thank them before I continue. Thank the thank you, Oklahoma Editorial Board. We couldn't do what we do without you. Um, so they continue. Meantime, there is reason to think the economic trajectory is changing in the right direction. Ah, uh, that's a that's a good double entendre right there. Cause uh, <laughs> uh, you get it. That's a that's clever. <laughs> well, it's actually it is changing in the right direction because. We're going to see the state shut down from labor unrest come April. <laughs> uh, they continue. The latest example comes from the Mid-American Business Conditions Index, a survey of business executives in nine Midwestern and Plain states that includes Oklahoma. The index uses a score of 0 to 100, with any score greater than 50 indicating an expanding economy over the next three to six months. Um, the score of the nine-state region was 59.7 in February. For Oklahoma, it was better. 60.5. Crichton University economics professor Ernie Goss, who oversees the report, noted average what? hourly earnings for Oklahoma private sector workers have increased by a solid 3.3% over the past 12 months. And what he's, for the past what he's 12 not, years, what he's not connecting in his head is that this clearly shows economic growth does not signal people's lives getting better. Like, he's not putting those two things together in his head, but that's just what he's laying out. Uh, well, it's just, I mean, it's also... You're like, they asking have to way too sector, much. Of, like, they have to stick like, to private sector workers because wage growth in the public sector has been flat for ten times the number of months. See, this article is actually good to me now because I'm thinking there are enough people who are reading this article and being, like, slowly radicalized, thinking, like, wait, people are still unhappy, but the economy's growing. Why would those two things not sync up right <laughs> no Maybe. don't have it. okay uh, lassie this this show is not an exercise in hope it is an exercise in despair okay <laughs> we're not here to no, bring light hopeful. are we you have to be hopeful now there's a strike coming come I'm on hopeful well, i'm hopeful the, for the strikes <laughs> I'm hopeful that the Oklahoman is actually a secret leftist plant to be such a bad newspaper <laughs> that it radicalizes people to the left. It's, oh, it's further shit. radicalized Carl. I will definitely say that. <laughs> listening, I, listening to Carl after he while he tries to pick out conservative reading lists is like listening to Trotsky like 17 <laughs> shots of whiskey in in a jail cell. Just screaming. It's pretty good. I mean, the Oklahoma editorial board is the Siberia of Imperial Russia. For <laughs> Oklahoma let's, just, let's, let's, let's be honest. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Um, the survey isn't an outlier. The most recent Greater Oklahoma City economic forecast found the metro economy is now on a steady recovery path. In 2017, the metro returned to positive job growth. The report predicts that in 2018, the metro will add... 9,100 jobs, and there is the potential for job gains to be even higher by the end of 2018. I'm going to talk a little bit why that number might be wrong later in the article. <laughs> um, unemployment in Oklahoma City remains relatively low. It hovered between 33 and 4.4% in 2017. 
At the same time, the metro's population has grown at a pace that of twice the nation since 2010, giving Oklahoma City its largest labor force in history in 2017, more than 677,000 people. Because if you live in Oklahoma and you won't work, you cannot live in rural Oklahoma. It's not possible. You can be an oil hand or not live in rural Oklahoma. Um, you can work at a grocery store. I did it for a bunch of years. <laughs> You did it before going to college. <laughs> it's not like a sustainable adult job. That's so. Yeah, the, uh, that's actually the new economic proposal for everyone in Oklahoma is live with your parents. <laughs> yeah. Hope they don't rent so you can take over the house when they die. <laughs> Te- teachers, uh, new program to live into your parents' basement. Uh, okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Um, for the seven-county Oklahoma City metropolitan area, 2017 total retail sales increased by 3.7% from 2016 totals. Okay. Um, per capita personal income in Oklahoma City continues to increase. The economic forecast shows it grew by 2.5% in 2017 to $45,775 and predicts it will reach $48,000 by 2019. Um... You know, it's kind of interesting to see all that rate, uh, wage growth and so on. And then, you know, that per capita personal income increase is markedly lower than that. I wonder what that, <laughs> I wonder what that's, what, what's, uh, what that is about. Uh, but let's keep going. Let's keep going. Um, the state economy is measured by real gross state product is growing by 3.6%. And the greater Oklahoma City Chamber predicts statewide economic growth in 2018 will turn the state's economy to the $180 billion level established in 2015. Sustained growth through the end of the year will leave the state approaching a $200 billion economy. Local energy companies, after a period of financial <laughs> struggle and workforce reductions caused by low energy prices, seem to have regained their footing. Oh, thank God. I was worried. I was really worried that the energy companies wouldn't be okay. Well, it's not <laughs> like they can go anywhere else or do anything else. The only thing they can do is is continue to abuse workers. Anyway, continue. Yeah. Uh, Chesapeake Energy Corp. Recently reported a fourth quarter profit of $334 million and projected further growth in 2018, which is interesting because at the end of January, despite a $334 million profit, they laid off 400 people. Hmm. It's almost like profits for big companies don't translate to good stuff for workers. And it's also (laughs) almost like we shouldn't dedicate our entire government to the profit making of a few companies because they don't employ that many people you know what affects a lot more people's (laughs) lives healthcare public education roads schools uh clean water transportation not not the like tiny little bit like the the you know let's say just does it say in here how many people chesapeake uh, that four hundred people Chesapeake laid off was thirteen percent of the workforce. Yeah, that's 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 nothing. <laughs> that is exactly that was exactly what I was looking for, Carl. Yes, perfect. That is nothing compared to the broad swaths of the population of this state. It's like you can affect more of a change by like going to like the mall and giving out free lunch today <laughs> than you can by like all the tax cuts that Chesapeake has received in the last year. Well, if you if it's you the also, same. Yeah, it's the same as all of these, uh, like company or all these cities just saying, like, yeah, we'll let you level our downtown if you move Amazon here to employ yeah. ten thousand people max, <laughs> and keep well, your corporate 
headquarters in Delaware and not pay any taxes to this state that you're in at if you, all. If you, if you look at this shit, right, they say, oh, Oklahoma might make it to $200 billion for its economy. And our budget last year was $6.8 billion. That's fucking tiny percentage. And the largest employer, the largest business sector in the state of Oklahoma is government employees. It's like 15 to 20%, and our budget does not reflect that. <laughs> because this is not the same. It doesn't fucking matter. They don't care about working people. Oh, That's how they can write this article. Keep going. Okay. Bring the pain. Um. Continental Resources Incorporated, that company that actively tried to get an academic fired at OU, uh, generated a profit of $842 million in the fourth quarter, and that included $128 million from operations and almost $714 million in benefits created by federal tax reform. <laughs> if we know anything about cutting taxes so companies make more money in the state of Oklahoma, it's that it's a way to fuck yourself in the ass in the future. <laughs> Um, yeah, operational gains. It, it trickles down to your groundwater supply. <laughs> and pollutes it and make your makes your brain have holes. It, it, it makes you think Scott Pruitt can defend the environment. Um, <laughs> the operational gains were driven by a 37% increase in production from the year ago period. <clears throat> Which is also like, that's not, that has nothing to do with tax breaks. That has everything to do with oil prices. Is everything, that literally does not have anything to do with tax prices that's entirely true oil production exclusively has to do with the price of oil on the global market we could have taxes as high as we wanted to and they would still do it if oil prices were high um and and if oil prices change for some other reason that will affect it too anyway continue continue Um, in its recent three-year outlook, Devon Energy Corp. predicted oil production would grow by more than 25% per year at its two largest oil fields, and the company would generate $2.5 billion in cumulative free cash flow. That's literally basically a sixth of the state of Oklahoma's budget that they're going to generate in profit that we're basically not going to t- – that we're subsidizing. Um, what was the number on the demands of the teacher strike? $1.5 billion? Yeah, 1. so we could just take – we could take away 60% of that subsidy and give the teachers everything that they want and, like, of. need. Yeah, every yeah. – things that could yeah. make their lives good. But instead, we want to make sure that the oil companies get $2.5 and can hire no. uh, 30 more people. Not the oil companies that Devin – Specific, cash just, flow specifically could make over a billion dollars in cash flow and fund the entirety of OEA's ask. Yeah, but think of all of the construction jobs that would be created if they make another hideous tower. <laughs> yeah, another phallic symbol of oil's dominance over the state <laughs> of Oklahoma. Oh, okay, let's let, let's finish it out. Um, even state government finances have vastly improved. Fake news. Uh, numbers recently released by the State Board of Equalization show general revenue collections are expected to be roughly $1 billion more than what was collected just two years ago. Now, if only tr- the trends on legislative dysfunction would similarly reverse course. That's in parentheses, which means that no one ever at the, the Oklahoma <laughs> Editorial Board ever proofreads anything. They're just like, ah, yeah, snarky comments. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah well also one of the biggest drivers of legislative dysfunction has been the the oklahoma editorial board shitting on anybody saying hey we literally can't fund ourselves literally don't have the money to fund our government this is a serious problem all right lay this last line down yeah yeah great. <laughs> 
These data points are reason for optimism, and we could stand a little of that. We do have reason for optimism. Oh, it's God. a strike. <laughs> Don't be sad about your, you know, losing your job and, you know, you can't make ends meet because the oil companies are doing well. That should, like have a little ray of sunshine in your life is that uh, Devin's getting 2.5 billion. Doesn't that cheer you up a little bit? Oh, Doesn't man, it cheer you up? You're getting, you're getting evicted, brain. you live in your car now, but isn't it great to know that Devin's getting $2.5 million in cumulative free cash flow? Like, that should make you happy. That should, like, uh, chin up. <laughs> it should great. make you happy that Devin could literally fund could literally buy itself cumulatively free cash flow, solve our structural budget deficit, and it's not going to. Oh man, that that should make you happy. Well, hey, you know Come what on. would you know what would make me happy? If I could hear about socialist events happening in Oklahoma this week. <laughs> yeah. So there's, I, I'm gonna. There's so your little bit of optimism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, real socialist activity in the state. That's that's fucking something to be happy about. Um, I just want to start off before I say this. Uh, a lot less people than usual got back to us, which I kind of expected. Um, and part of that is because they've all said, "Pay attention to us. We're going to be doing something soon about the teacher strike." And so I mean, that takes organization. That takes hard work on the part of those organizations. So you know, we ask like over you know about 15 organizations weekly and we're always looking for more so just send us some if you have some that you'd like us to ask about for events and, th and they're all saying we're gearing up for this so pay attention to to facebook pages twitter accounts um but here's the stuff we did we did hear about um on monday march 12th the new sanctuary network of tulsa is protesting ice deportations at 2 p.m in front of the david l moss criminal justice center and on wednesday march 14th the new Sanctuary Network of Tulsa wants everyone to know about the Visiting Artist Series Yo Solo event happening at the Woody Guthrie Center from 7.30 to 9 p.m. And Dream Action Oklahoma of OKC has a weekly protest every Wednesday at noon in front of an unmarked ICE office located at 3625 Northwest 56th Street in Oklahoma City. Um, go protest ICE. Fuck ICE. I, ICE is, is terrible. Um <laughs> Adam, I saw that look. <laughs> I I actually I, I I really like ice. Um, I find that it's difficult for me to get my tea to the right temperature if I put frozen <laughs> stones in there. So I prefer to just freeze my water and put ice. my water in frozen form into my tea to make it nice and chilly. Important note, they're not protesting solid-state water. They're protesting the scumbag fascists. Uh, oh, so, you meant... Go do that. Oh, yeah. you meant the I, immigration I that, stuff. Oh, I should, shit. Yeah, I that God, I'm <laughs> you know, sorry. Uh, no, I don't like those guys. I like... I like... I like the, the third state of matter for water very much. Sorry. I got yeah, confused. Do you hear about this? Uh, you hear about these ICE agents? Uh, <laughs> I think they're the only... Uh, the only the only ice that's not melting under Trump's climate plan. Am I right, guys? Oh, you hear about this? You see this? You hear about this? What a great audience! Use that joke for like years now. That's a good. That's good. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> if I could do a good Leno, I'd do it in a Leno voice. <laughs> oh please no! Yeah, you hear about these ice agents, guys? You hear about these ice agents? <laughs> the only ice that's not melting under Trump's climate plan. <laughs> okay, okay. Just tell us about the end of this. Okay, the last one. The last one. 
is on Saturday, March 17th. It's also from Dream Action Oklahoma of OKC. They'll be having a Know Your Rights workshop and free legal immigration consultation at 9 a.m. iPad, why did you decide to close right then? God it's damn it. At, it's at 5909 Northwest Expressway, Suite 100 in Oklahoma City. Yeah, I got you. So, I got you, Carl. Yeah. If you need that, if you want to show support, if you want to figure out your rights, all that kind of shit, go there. There will not be ICE agents there, and if there, there, there won't be. There won't that, be. That will not be a thing. Yeah. So. Uh, and all right, guys. Hey, thank you guys so much for listening once again this week. Um, and I want to say thank you one more time to G- Green Country DSA for having us out for the candidate forum. We just put that special edition up. Uh, hope you guys all enjoy it. Uh, as always, you can find us over at Twitter at Red Star Over OK, our subreddit where we put up our reading lists and uh, our favorites for the week is our Red Star Over Oklahoma. You can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes at Red Star Over Oklahoma. Uh, if you've got a question, comment, complaint, concern, uh, story you'd like us to do, anything, please feel free to reach out either so on Facebook event, or an event. event you yeah. want us to contact. Yeah. Or organization you want us to be in contact with about yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, please feel free to reach out to us on Facebook or at our, our Gmail account, redstaroverok at gmail.com. And hey, guys, please tell your friends and rate and review on iTunes. Uh, until then, we'll see, uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.